And, uh, and it was, you know, Lee and I turned up to drop off uh, children yesterday morning down at Solid Camp. And, and I remember Solid, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, I was, I think I went the second year it was running with a couple of friends who had helped start it up and uh, hadn't heard about it for a bit. And to walk in and to see literally the size of it, it down there in Havering on the Essex border, um, you know, Lee and I are going to, we're going to hire a little coffee stall next year and we're going to set up business or something, aren't we? But it was, it was busy and it was good. And it just reminded me that, you know, God brings things to fruit. God works seasons through and that it's about kingdom. That it's not about, you know, our little, little bit, if you know what I mean. You know, you know I, I hadn't been down there, I don't know, probably for 15 at least years, because Claire reminded me that's how long we've been married and I haven't taken her there. Do you know what I mean? And yet it's grown. And to God be the glory for that, you know, and the fact that the music seemed a little bit loud probably just implies that I'm a little bit old, <laughs> you know, and that's where we've got to get to. But it was a real joy. And uh, for those who, who haven't come across me and new visiting, welcome. Um, you know, my name is Ben. And uh, back in t- uh, 2009, uh, my wife Claire and I uh, founded what's become God Central Church after God speaking to us both. And, and the reason I share that is, along with the solid story is that the heart was always that the kingdom of God would expand, that lives would be touched, that, that things would be uh, done for his glory. Do you know what I mean? You know, and so you know, it doesn't matter what name's above it. It's the name above all names that counts, the name of Jesus. And, uh, and so in here, you know, is God central. Yeah, we're trusting God for a sizable church, but, but we're, ch- we're trusting him for kingdom advance in Harlow and Essex, which is where he's placed us. And, uh, and we say that 10 years on. Do you know what I mean? You know, we're in our 10th year as God Central. Uh, you know, uh, two, two children, Claire and I have had in that time. Uh, s- someone commented this week that I've got, my hair's now grey and I've lost some of it. I won't tell you who, but uh, it didn't bless me immensely. But it is true. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's the, still the same vision. It's the same God that he does not grow old or grow tired. And so our heart really this summer is lean in with us because we're trusting God that he would add to us as a gospel community, that we would grow in unity and in number uh, for his name's sake. Um, This morning... uh, we're into Ecclesiastes 11. If you've been with us uh, since the start of the year, you'll know we've been dipping in and out of Ecclesiastes. If you're new this morning, then uh, you've got two weeks of Ecclesiastes. So, so, so fill your boots and get online with it. Um, but it's basically, uh, you know, this is our penultimate week. And we're going we're gonna to dive straight in. So I've got quite a lot to pull out of this one. And so Lot is going to come up and read uh, Ecclesiastes 11. Uh, 1 to 6. So if you've got a Bible, uh, smartphone, whatever else, Ecclesiastes 11, 1 to 6 would be really good to see you turn and just read uh, and come through it. So hopefully, Lot, take it away, my friend. Amen. I read from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1 to 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven. Yes to eight, for you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it lies. Whoever catches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not weep. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God. 
of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at night let it not let your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Amen. 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 Let's just pray. Father God, <laughs> thank you for your presence here this morning, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Lord, that, that my words would be few and yours would be many. Lord, that you would uh, impart hope, that you'd impart purpose, that you would call us, cause us to find who we are in you, our maker and creator and sustainer. And Father God, in it all, we ask that Jesus would be glorified and that we would be edified. We ask that in his beautiful name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Okay, we have to get a bit louder on the amens this morning to make up for microphones and other bits. So uh, no passive entertainment. But um, uh, people who've who, who written a lot of books about different books in the Bible uh, and studied things, uh, they say quite a lot about the last chapters of Ecclesiastes. They talk about them being bullets or nuggets of information where each line can kind of change a situation. You know, that they, they, they kind of, uh, they're, they're just there with masses of information in them. And, uh, and as I sat and read it, the first thing I found myself thinking about was uh, the Lake District and Wainwright, who, if you don't know of uh, Wainwright, he was a, a, a gentleman who spent his entire life devoted to walking uh, the fells in the Lake District. Um, uh, I did have some images, but it doesn't look like they're working. Um, but he, on there, he, uh, he literally spent his life just hand-drawing back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, kind of pictures of different mountains. And uh, they were done in massive detail. And uh, the reason I share this, along with Ecclesiastes, is that his goal in doing this was so that future generations and other people would have the stuff they needed to navigate the fells without getting into trouble. He was that determined that everyone knew every little nook and cry cranny. Do you know I mean he's got all the heights on here? This He just sat and drew them and wanted to pass on everything from his wisdom to others. And I think that's where we're getting to with Ecclesiastes, is Solomon is, is approaching his latter years, and he's gained a lot of information, and he wants to pass it on. But there's a key difference between the writings of Ecclesiastes and these wonderful books that are in the north of, northwest of England, and that is Solomon's writings uh, are part of Scripture. And uh, 2 Timothy 3 uh, says in verse 16, says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That Solomon's writings stand above those of Alfred Wainwright because Solomon's writings are inspired by God. They carry a different weight to walking books, to self-help books, to whatever hobby you've got. You know, if it's truck building and, and radio control stuff, you know, Solomon's writings stand different to that. If it's crochet, if it's cooking, if it's gardening, if it's gaming, you know, the writings of Scripture stand at a different level because they are God-breathed. They are breathed by the one who created you and I and therefore resonate from the inside out. And, and so in our pursuit of finding the one who created us, his writings are there to enrich us, to guide us, to help us navigate things so that we may know our creator and that we may glorify him in the world that he's placed us. And so chapters 10 and 11, where we were last time and this time, you know, they're just little snapshots of advice. They're direct and uh, it's almost like, you know, Solomon was writing in today's age 
thousands of years ago. Because in today's age, you know, things like Twitter and text, you have, you have like a character count, don't you? And if you're like me, it's really frustrating because you just can't fit what you want in it, okay? And there's a few people laughing. Well, it's like Solomon didn't have that problem. He was just so concise and condensed that he was able to write and then unpack. And so today, we're going we're gonna to stay brief. We're going to unpack verses 3 then verse 4, and then verses 5 and 6. And we've got three points that are going to come out of these, which again should come up behind me. And the first one is, certain things will happen. Number two, coming from verse 4, is get stuck in. And number three, uh, don't worry. <laughs> okay, so they're the three bits we're going to go. So starting with verse 3, okay, let me read it again just so we remind ourselves. Verse 3 said, if the clouds are full of water, which they were, I don't know, about 7 o'clock this morning, okay, and they pour rain on the earth, whether a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. In other words, God determines things that are going to happen. Not you, not I. We're designed to worship him, but we don't orchestrate things. History. Go back to the 12th century here in the British Isles. There was an English king called King Canut or Canute, as you may well be known. Okay, there's different pronunciations and Lee will correct me afterwards. But King Canute, ruler of England, very famous. And uh, this is recorded about him. It says, the members of his court were continually full of flattery. Just like you lot. <laughs> you are the greatest man that ever lived, they said. Don't go there. Okay, you're the most powerful king of all. Your highness, there's nothing you cannot do. Nothing in this world dares disobey you. Uh, and the king was a wise man, it says, and he grew tired of such foolish speeches. One day, when he was walking by the seashore, Canute decided to teach them a lesson. So you say I'm the greatest man in the world, he asked. Oh, king, they cried, there has never been anyone as mighty as you, and there has never been anyone so great ever again. And you say, all things obey me, Canute asked. Yes, sire, they said, the world bows before you and gives you honor. I see, the king answered. In that case, bring me my chair and place it down by the water. The servants scrambled to carry King Canute's royal chair over the sands. In his direction, they place it down by the water's edge. This dispute, actually, there's three different counties claiming the story happened in their part, but I won't go there. The king sat down and looked out at the ocean. I noticed the tide is coming in. Do you think it will stop if I give the command? Give the order, O great king, and it will obey, cried his entourage. See, cried Canute, I command you to come no further. Do not dare to touch my feet. <laughs> he waited a moment. A wave rushed up the sand and lapped at his feet. <laughs> How dare you, Canute shouted. Ocean, turn back now. I've ordered you to retreat before me. And now you must obey. Go back. In came another wave, lapping at the king's feet. Canute remained on his throne throughout the day, screaming at the waves to stop. Yet they came in until the seat of his throne was covered in water. Finally, Canute turned to his entourage and said, It seems I do not have quite as much power as you would have me believe. Perhaps now you remember there is only one king who is all-powerful, and it is he who rules the sea and holds the ocean in the hollows of his hand. I suggest you reserve your praises for him. Like Solomon, King Canute knew and acknowledged he couldn't stop clouds from raining. He couldn't stop sea from coming in. You know, there's the English little throwaway phrase, isn't there? You know, time and tide wait for no man. <laughs> They're orchestrated. 
Do you know what I mean? You know, by the sovereign God of the universe who does what he wants, when he wants, and holds all things together in perfect harmony in his kingdom. And so the lesson from that is that if you're wrestling with stuff, then bring it before God. But bring it to him open-handed. And by that I mean sometimes uh, we have a way of praying, don't you? You know, oh God, would you do this, this and this? But actually, would you give me promotion? <laughs> yeah? Or God, have your way. But I'd really like it if. Or God, here I am. Could you? <laughs> my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Isaiah 55. God says to us, you know, fix your eyes on me. Set your heart, set your affection, set your being on me. Your vision, your, the focus, the center of your life on me alone. And learn to trust me. Because I'm the one who thrung stars into space, who pulls tides, oceans, suns, moons, stars. They all were created and belong to him. And then verse 4 comes off the back of that. And verse 4, as I said earlier, God encourages us to get stuck in. So let me just remind us, why are we saying that? The verse says, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And you've got to hear my heart and tone here, because there is very much a time for watching. There is very much a time for standing and observing, of talking and praying. But there's also a time for doing stuff. There's also a time for action. And I fear one of the snares that affects many Christians around the globe today is the over-spiritualization, if I can put it that way. The, the desire to, I'm just waiting to see what God will do. And I've met people. I meet them one summer. Just waiting, Ben. Just, you know, God's spoken on this. I'm just waiting. Meet them the next year. Yep. Still waiting. Next year, you've got no hair left, buddy. Still waiting. <laughs> Next year. And, and hear my heart on it. You know, that, that it, you know, there is a waiting, there's a wrestling. But there's also a doing. April the 23rd, 1910. Former President of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt, gave a speech in Paris at 3 p.m. Many of you have heard it. And at, towards the end of his speech, he said... It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how, how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. There's always someone who will point out faults, isn't there? The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, sweat and blood, who has strived valiantly, who has erred, who has come short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who, actually, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, who knows great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows the end of the triumph of a high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. I said, oh, hear my heart. But I do feel for myself and others that God would speak to some of us about getting in the ring, about getting stuck in, about doing stuff for his glory. That we do stuff 
we pray, we listen, and we act. There's another fictitious story, this one. And it says, a very religious man was once caught in rising floodwaters. He climbed onto the roof of his house and trusted God to rescue him. A neighbor came by in a canoe and said, the waters will soon be above your house. Hop in and we'll paddle to safety. If you talk to any of the girls from Champions, that was one of their problems yesterday, apparently, canoeing. Okay? No thanks, the religious man said. I've prayed to God and he's going to save me. A short time later, the police came by in a boat and they said the same. The waters will soon be above your house. Hop in and we'll take you to safety. No thanks, replied the religious man. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he's going to save me. A little time later, the rescue services came by in their, in their helicopter. They hovered overhead, let down a rope ladder and said to him, do you know what I mean? You know, climb the ladder and we'll fly you to safety. No thanks, replied the religious man. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he'll save me. All this time, obviously the floodwaters continued to rise and soon they reached the top of the house and then up the roof and then right up to the top ridge and then the religious man drowned. And when he arrived in heaven, he demanded an audience with God. <laughs> and God, being gracious, gave him the audience. So he was ushered into the very throne room of God. And his opening question was, Lord, why am I here in heaven? I prayed for you to save me. I trusted in you to save me in the flood. And here I am. After a pause, after a while, the Lord replied, Yes, you did, my child. And I sent you a canoe, I sent you a boat, I sent you a helicopter, but you never got in any of them. <laughs> Funny story, but hits the point that sometimes as Christians, I think we can over-spiritualize things. Delay, procrastinate, perhaps become apathetic in waiting, waiting, waiting for God to act on our terms. Let's not miss out on what God is doing because of anything like that. And let's not try to dictate to God how he's going to move in a certain situation. A canoe would have been fine. A boat would have been fine. Helicopter, we're talking Bear grill stuff. It's going to be fine. <laughs> let's learn to recognize how God moves, even if it isn't how Ben Clark or how you would have it done. You know, things may not be how we want, but God promises to never leave us or forsake us he promises to keep moving to keep working all things for his glory through those who follow him so i mean and we need as a people to be led by his spirit you know and, and just be be prepared to go where he goes you know i was so blessed this monday just gone in a monday life group uh, because uh, I don't know, some of you may have seen pictures of it uh, off Dan's Instagram or whatever. But we, we were due to meet, uh, and as Monday group, we've been just kind of going out a little bit and just sort of uh, testing things for the summer. And so we'd planned to meet, uh, we worshipped, no, we had some food, we worshipped, and then we were due to go up the town centre to pray. Um, and then we were going to go up the common to get a view over the town. And during the worship, uh, Claire felt God spoke to her about not going to the town, but about going to the new development just behind our house, Gildon Way. 
And, uh, and so instinctively, it just blessed me so much. There was no mumbling. The entire group, just, just, we just, just went to Gildan Way. <laughs> so we just pulled in a car park and, and prayed that God would move, that he'd reveal himself to workers, that there'd be safety on the site, that he'd go ahead of the people who were going to move in there, that, that, that their paths would be orchestrated, that, that people who would bless the kingdom here would move in, that lives would be changed, and a whole load of other stuff about community and safety. And it just did me good. Because we're called to action. We're called to be Jesus in this town. You know, Jeremiah 29 tells us that, you know, this is the city where God has, has placed us. Therefore, we are to grow in it. We're to get jobs in it. We're to marry, settle, and seek the welfare of it. And I was so pleased on Monday night that we got in the ring. We did something. Do you know what I mean? You know, we didn't just stick to a formula. We moved in obedience. And to be honest, now it's over to God. <laughs> I don't know why we went there. Do you know what I mean? You know, but God had a plan, hence he spoke it. Our bit was just to be obedient. You know, and we trust him to be fruitful. You know, Diane, she didn't, she's not in here. and She doesn't know what I'm speaking on. She's had a little word in the prayer meeting beforehand about, about God blessing all the people who had come through God Central over the last nine and a bit years. That some of them may just have had a postcard. Some of them may have just had this. But that seed and fruit would happen. That's it. We, we're just called to be obedient and to trust God to do great things in us and through us. You know, because he is working things through. You know, we don't see the end from the beginning. We don't need to. What we do need to do is to know who we are in God and anchor in it. And a good character for us to kind of come into land on as we start focusing a bit is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about his background in a minute. But in Philippians chapter 4, one of my favorite verses, which was drilled into me in the Baptist church in my early days, was, uh, is, it comes from uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 4, 5, 6. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is not here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Rejoice in the Lord always was a, was a song that I was brought up on as, as the kind of coming in at the end of it. And a few of you have got raw smiles. You can remember it. Um, I'm not getting the worship band to do it. You'll be pleased to know. But rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then we need the context of that. Okay, because this is the Apostle Paul writing, and you're thinking, well, he's having a good day. Do you know what I mean? You know, what's he got to say about it? Yeah, of course we're going to re rejoice and be good in God. Well, let me just give you Paul's context, because life has a real way of, of putting context. So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, and I want you to understand, in the back of your mind, hear those words, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. So I'm picking up uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Okay, and this is what it says. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I've constantly been on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow, fellow Jews, and in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, and in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let's get the chorus right. 
I've labored, I've toiled, I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I daily face the pressure of concern for the churches I work with. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Why is he rejoicing? Well, because this life has already been brought is short. And Jesus offers us an eternity with him. That in, in this life, I'm guessing we've all had our shipwreck moments. They may not literally be like the Apostle Paul, where we can write them and say, yep, I actually I was blown up on this rock. But we've had moments where life has left you high and dry. Whether that be health, whether that be jobs, whether that be friendships, whether that be relationships, whether that just be business decisions. We've had those moments. And in those moments, like Paul, we get to choose. Is it rejoice and dig in, keep going? We're called to fight the good fight for Jesus. And maybe you're just listening to me and you're like, yeah, right, Ben. You can, yeah, right, Ben. But if you, yeah, right, Paul, his reply to you is going to be hungry, beaten, <laughs> ostracized, despised, rejected, cold, hungry, naked. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Paul was a man who persevered. He proclaimed the gospel in his known sphere. He lived for Christ. And, and in his sufferings, there's an imagery of Christ. But let's remember Jesus because he was Christ. Yeah, Paul did though. Jesus was Christ. He left heaven, a place where everything is perfect and in its place. And he, he left that, the joy of heaven, and came down to live on earth. In his adult life, we know lots of it, but let's just really make it clear. He was lied about. Became the source of horrible gossip. Maybe you can relate to that this morning. Was let down by friends. Maybe you can relate to that. Was targeted and persecuted. Again, maybe you can relate to that. Was forcibly taken, roughed up, beaten, publicly humiliated. Again, maybe you can relate to that in some way. He was flogged. That's literally beaten. He had his skin and beard pulled out. And then was publicly executed in a way so brutal that even the empire that did it to him would ban it 300 years later. And from the cross, Jesus Christ is in the same vein as the Apostle Paul would say 30 years later. He's saying rejoice. I rejoice because through what I'm doing, I'm making a way for anyone to come and have unity with my Father. He did all he did for you and I. Not selfish gain. No, for, for you and I. So that whatever wrong we've done, whatever thoughts we've done, whatever emotions we've done, even if we've not shared them with everything, anyone else, the things that torment us, we know that they've been paid for. It's free to you and I, paid for by Jesus. And we now have a slate wiped clean. We're now clothed in new garments. We now have a hope and a future that, that is eternal. 
that the, 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 however many years we walk on this planet, we know we have eternity with God if we've chosen to follow him. And that's why Paul is able to say rejoice. And again, I say rejoice because the Apostle Paul, let's make it here, he was no angel. Okay? The Apostle Paul, he did some bad stuff. And again, we can read about the bad stuff. He, he was a devout Jew. He believed in a different way. And so when Christianity started exploding, he made a point of going and finding Christians. He hunted them out. And then he'd take the mickey out of them if they were lucky. If they were a little bit more unlucky, he'd beat them. And if they were a little bit more unlucky, he'd break bones, sack their houses, and do that. And if he, they were really unlucky, he'd lock them up and torture them and have them killed. And then Jesus met him. And, you, and Jesus didn't do what he'd done to other mankind. Jesus called him and used him so that he writes to us, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. With all his baggage, with all his going to sleep, possibly looking and thinking of lives and families and, and communities that he has personally wrecked, he still had a hope and a future in God because of the grace of God. Because God is just working on such a bigger picture than any of you or I have a clue about. And that brings us to verse 5. Because verse 5 says, You do not know the path of the wind, as you do not know the path of the wind, or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. We haven't got a clue. <laughs> you know, how God works things, we haven't got a clue. You know, Paul also asked the question in his writings, you know, who has known the mind of the creator? Do you know what I mean? He's saying, who knows the mind of God? You know, with all his backdrop, who knows? And he's not expecting anyone to put their hand up and say, me, <laughs> you know, I'm a teacher. I always hate it when there's no one puts their hand up. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like oh no, I'm really bad at my job moment. But Paul's not expecting a classroom here of like a whole load of hands. I know. <laughs> no, what he's saying is that, that we don't understand, but that God has given us a wisdom that every day dictates that we can make the best decisions possibly can from the life he's given us from the information he's given us from his spirit living in us that we should do our homework that we should prepare for whatever's coming next but the truth is we don't really know what tomorrow holds so therefore we don't need to pretend about it we don't need to over spiritualize it maybe we just need to understand sometimes life is practical and the best thing to do is to be wise and to lean into God and to accept when we don't know it and to trust God in those moments all the same we're not expected to have the answers for everything. I, I don't. Do you mean I've got a lot of questions about my family situations, about health situations, about job situations, about the life of Bengal. And do you know what? <laughs> I've just learned rejoice in the Lord always because he has a way and he's working things. And I trust Psalm 139, if the band want to come up, says this. It says in verse 13, For you created my inmost beings. I love this psalm. You know, some of you need to get this printed on your mirrors this week. You know, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You know, the truth is that God made you. The truth is God is working in you past tense, current tense. And God will bring about change. 
so that we, you and I, individuals, God-central, will become the people, the church, the gospel community he's designed us to be, to show his glory. And we need to trust in him, to not worry, to trust in, an, in a sovereign, righteous, amazing, awesome God.